Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse. This podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6:58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new manna. He is the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us every single day in the Holy Eucharist. So really excited for our episode today. Got a rock star in the house, but first I just want to say thanks to everybody out there who's left a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're helping us get the word out that Jesus is alive, he's about a good work, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist. So today I'm joined at a very ornate table by the one and only Father Edward On. Father, thanks for being here. Thank you, Lee. It's a blessing to be with you having me. Thank you. Uh, Father, you have become a quick friend. I'll just, I'll just say that. I'd like to say likewise. Thank you. I'm glad to know it's not just a one-sided relationship. Thank you, Father. So, Father, could you give us an update on like who you are? What, you know, what's your season of life? Where are you stationed right now? What's what's the situation? Yes, <clears throat> I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. Here, I've been ordained for over 12 years. I was whole, ordained at Holy Spirit Parish in 2011. I'm currently assigned at St. Michael the Archangel. I'm one of the associate priests under Father Brian Sheeper, the pastor, and Father Luke Doyle, who's the other associate. So I'm just very blessed uh, to be ministering in many ways, but also with those two priests. I didn't know you were, uh, you're from OP? You're from Overland Park? I'm not originally. Oh, I, would, okay. I would consider myself an adopted Kansan. Cool. Welcome. Uh, yes. Happy to have you. Thank you. Kansas is a place where all people are welcome. Mm. So where are you from originally then? Yes, I was born in New Jersey, Jersey City, grew up first part of my childhood in the Los Angeles suburbs, and then the second part of my childhood onward in the Chicago suburbs. Mm. But I've lived in eight different places, and the Lord has made it very clear to me that I'm here to stay. So I've... Cool. Yeah. How did you... So yeah, I'm just I'm just curious, Father, how, how did that happen? So you go from Jersey to LA to Chicago. I mean was you know military family or like what happened not a military family but yeah just for my dad's work and so just i can see in god's providence the different uh, places that he's brought our family successively and right everything uh, is nothing is done haphazardly in the lord's plan everything is done with he does with pinpoint precision and able to see that uh as well so but i'm so grateful that he's called me to be here and to belong to the people of Northeast Kansas. Yeah. So it's a tremendous blessing. Well, that's beautiful. To, to belong to a people is a special thing. Amen. Amen. So, Father, take me back to the beginning. Like, what's your story of of falling in love with Christ uh, and, and what happened? Yes. <clears throat> you know, I'm so grateful that my parents are brought me to the faith and their beautiful witness of I really experienced God's love through the family so through my parents and then my older brother brothers seven and a half years older Mark long story short we were baptized as a family when I was three so it was a very intentional decision on the part of my parents so I see in retrospect 
tremendous graces for me now as an adult because I had the twofold grace on one hand for all intents and purposes because I was three when I was baptized. So I'm basically a cradle Catholic. So I have that grace of Mm -hmm. being a cradle Catholic, but at the same time of having parents who are converts to the faith. Mm. So I never had examples of the faith in my parents who were just going through the motions or being being mediocre or Mm. cafeteria Catholics. They were so intentional about the faith because no one forced them into the faith. They chose it willingly. So I had that beautiful example of of parents who were very intentional about living out their faith. Did you come into the church with them? I did, yeah. We're all in 1987, the same year, so just a tremendous grace. So I really encountered God's love primarily through the family life and just seeing the sacrificial love through my parents. And I think it was only maybe when I was 17, 18, when I started developing a personal relationship with the Lord. But otherwise, I had this uh, intuitive and deep sense that the Lord exists through the love of my parents uh, that I've encountered, even Mm -hmm. though you know, if I were pressed, you know, theologically, I, I wouldn't have known how to articulate my faith, but that's kind of how it's kind of nourished in the faith. There's so much that could be said about my faith journey, but sure, I can say it was my senior year. So at this point, uh, living in the suburbs of Chicago, and we lived near uh, Mundelein Catholic Seminary. That's the in, upper north. Is it the correct. northwest side? That's right. Northwest okay. suburbs. And we lived about 15 minutes away. And at this point, my parents, they were just really gravitating towards next door, which is the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Mm-hmm. And they have this 24-7 Eucharistic adoration. It's, I think, one of the largest monstrances I've ever seen. It's like five foot two. And you have this enormous Whoa. host that you can see even from like a few hundred feet away. And we just, we gravitated towards coming here and just the beauty. It's like a basilica type place. Mm. And... My parents were going to at least weekly Eucharistic adoration holy hours. So it's this common practice of people sign up to, to, to commit to spending at least one hour before, as Catholics, we believe that Jesus is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, and he's exposed for all to see. There are some places that are designated as perpetual adoration chapels. So mm-hmm. Marytown or this National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colio is one of these places. My parents, it's long signed up for this. And I, for whatever reason, I I started going with them uh, sometime during my senior year, once a week. And at this stage, I still wouldn't have been able to articulate doctrine on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. If you were were to ask me what that, I, I don't know what I would have said, but there was such a palpable sense of remarkable peace Mm. because I, I was so desperately lacking peace and there was just a lot of restlessness within me. So if nothing else, even as this senior in high school and just different anxieties of life and discontent, something I recognized in the peace and quiet there was that this is really a welcome, beautiful experience and I've never encountered this type of peace before. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like the beginnings of it. Cool. Even though I wouldn't have known that like that's actually almighty God of the universe mm-hmm. before um, in whose presence we are. That's profound though, that it's, it's in the peace. It's that, that, that peace factor. I mean, Galatians five, the Holy spirit is God is where there is love, joy, peace, patience, yeah. kindness, like p- 
peace, peace, peace. Yeah, it's, it's weird to think about how, um, like the Lord, when he created the cosmos, when he, you know, he held all of creation, you know, between his thumb and his forefinger. Um, and he, he said, he looked at his son, he said, are you ready? And his son looked back, he said, let's do this. Mm. And then boom, it's a place of peace that creation came to be and how it seemed like in this, in this moment of peace that, um, not to put words in your mouth at all, but you kind of became a new creation that you, you discovered, uh, what this, uh, you know, a, a new dimension of life. Indeed. Hmm. Yeah. It was just a real, uh, awakening and it just, the Lord was just so gentle there, but it was enough where it was noticeable. Again, I wouldn't have even been able to articulate it, but it, it drew, it was enough to just really continue drawing me in and fast forward to then by God's grace, my mother, you know, she used her motherly authority and mm-hmm. gently uh, encouraging me to go to World Youth Day in Toronto. That just really opened mm-hmm. my eyes. That just kind of jump started uh, this fire within me to really learn more because I just realized how little I knew. Hmm. And there was this, uh, it awakened within me a desire to learn more about who the Lord is. I was able to go to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And it was there where I just continued this awakening in the Eucharist where I started being catechized. And I don't know how I lived 18 years of my life, but it finally just dawned on me. been going, think by thanks be to God, by God's grace, I've been going to Sunday Mass every Sunday, sometimes even daily Mass with my parents. But it just never occurred to me what's happening in the holy sacrifice of the Mass in the Eucharist, the confection of the Eucharist mm. or the, the Eucharistic presence coming about. And then that extension of that presence outside of mass right. in in any tabernacle of, throughout the world and then in perpetual adoration, just never made that connection. And finally receiving this catechesis and it just dawned on me, it was a mind blowing truth that it had immediate impact because they mm. said, if that's true, what we believe, and I did a very systematic kind of study of the faith mm-hmm. in all of these ways, but I said, well, if that's true, if we really believe that this is Calvary, not something else from Cal- Calvary, we're not re- reaping, it's, it is Calvary itself. We are mystically brought back to that place in whatever, 30 or 33 AD, anywhere we are in the world, Yeah. then that is singularly the most important events in human history for us. And I just made a, a, a resolution. I said, this is so obvious. This is clearly the most important thing that has ever happened in anyone's life, so clearly in my life. And as long as I'm able-bodied, I need to prioritize this in my life. And mm. so this is sometime in my I think in my second semester of my freshman year, I just started going to daily mass and ever since I've never stopped and it just impacted everything. It, you know, very palpable things of, you know, even things like my class schedule. I'm like, Oh, well, if it conflicts with one of the mass times, Mm -hmm. like this is a priority, I'm going to make this happen. Awesome. So kind of understanding and you, you really see like this, um, these performative truths, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, Pope Benedict the 16th talks about this, right? These truths aren't just, abstract, like 
they really have a bearing and impact on our life. And mm. I, I saw very concretely how it affected me. And then fast forward, maybe about a year later, by the end of my sophomore year, I also recognize, yeah, and I want to spend time with our Eucharistic Lord, with our Lord. I mean, it's 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 Him. And yeah. if if we're made for heaven, then we would do well to really become acquainted with the Lord, to spend time with Him, to receive His own mindsets his thoughts, his yeah. desires, his feelings. And so I made a commitment by the end of my sophomore year to spend a, a daily Eucharistic holy hour as well. Yeah, that's so good. You making, like having the maturity about you to uh, to make the call that if this class interferes with my ability to, with this, if this class interferes with my intimacy, with, this, with my relationship with God, then it, it can't happen. I need to I need to rearrange. Man, putting the Lord at the forefront of your life, truly at the center of your uh your gravity and letting letting the rest um revolve around that one soul um core thing, i.e. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I, I love what you said too, just about this whole the reality of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary being an eternal moment that it really, it's hard for the modern mind to wrap their head around just in terms of, okay, yeah, it happened a long time ago, but it is now as well. Like it's the one sole, perpetual, eternal sacrifice of Christ for all of mankind. And it's, it's there that we go during mass. It's the one sacrifice. It's not a re-sacrifice. Uh, it is the one eternal sacrifice that we get to participate in uh, daily and uh, commune commune with him in that sacrifice it's it's uh yeah like you said mind blowing amen cool so you uh freshman year you were pursuing the lord you're you're you know prioritizing the faith just as you were um as a youth um but you're, you're seeking after him uh, you're seeking deeper communion outside of the Holy Mass in adoration. Um, so jumping from there to, you know, you are wearing this collar now. You're in a cassock sitting before me. What happened between there? You know, your vocation being rooted in the Eucharist, so on and so forth. Yes, it's so instrumental. That's time that I spent first and foremost in just daily mental prayer. Mm. And then, of course, carrying over into just spending silent time before our Lord in awe. Hmm. I believe as moderns, if we knew just how easy and how organic and natural and life-giving it is to pray, because I think sometimes we get this sense as if like prayer is a chore and it's burdensome and it's something I do hmm. and the Lord should, he should thank me for showing up at prayer. Like I'm doing him a, a service here. <laughs> And I know I've had that for, for so long, but I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, you are so merciful. This is such a remarkable gift. There's so much that I could say just about yeah. the fact of the Lord's extraordinary mercy in giving us his undivided attention because normally extraordinarily important people, they're in incredible demand and you need to make appointments with them. Mm -hmm. And there's such a paradox here because the Lord, who is clearly the most important being in the universe, the fact that he is in demand, it would just be an understatement. And yet 
there is an extraordinary paradox because he is the most accessible being ever, mm. 24-7. You know, the Lord doesn't tell me like, hey, Edward, oh, sorry, I know you want to spend time with me, but that doesn't work. Uh, how about like Monday, two weeks from now, from 11 to 12, I've got some time for you. You know, it's it's extraordinary, 24-7. And yeah. it's, I believe we just take this for granted, but it's so life-giving, it's so easy. Mm. And I, I think if many people are aware that throughout the day, so much is asked of us and that's not a bad thing right wherever we go where you know we need to do things or we have certain responsibilities and i love prayer and spending time with the lord first and foremost mm -hmm. because the lord's not asking me to do anything or to come up or produce great ideas for him that he just simply desires me the gift yeah. of who i am and that could so often for me that is simply just wanting to just be still before the lord in awe and praise and thanksgiving but just simply being mm -hmm. and that's yeah the lord's not asking me to produce i find that so extraordinary welcoming mm. and such a remarkable gift yeah and in that quiet the lord was just able to speak to my heart in that face to face that heart to heart i believe that's uh, what St. John Henry Newman also refers to, right? That heart to heart mm -hmm. with the Lord specifically in the Eucharistic presence. And he spoke so palpably and clearly to me. It wasn't anything um, overpowering, but it was very clear, very distinct. And just this overwhelming sense of peace and joy that was undeniable, indescribable yeah. because I'd never... <laughs> experience anything remotely close to that before so i knew right. like i can't possibly produce anything like this by myself yeah. and i've never experienced anything like this eye has not seen ear has not heard nor has it dawned upon man what god has in store and he just started giving me glimpses and allowing me to experience this and it to a point where i'm a very being if you know anything about the the temperaments i'm a very deep melancholic and as a deep melancholic Same. I, I'm prone to doubts and maybe second guessing, but what's so remarkable when I ponder and reflect, prayerfully reflect back on how the Lord called me just to discipleship and then of course specifically to the vocation to the priesthood. These are really major decisions and I've never had any doubts about that and I can't attribute any of that to my myself. You know, I can't take credit for that there's no merit it's just a pure grace because the lord knew in his mercy that for someone like me who's so prone to custom he just needs to make it abundantly clear and he's got to be so gentle and merciful in providing me this just this uh, moral certainty yeah and just to clarify for all of our listeners out there you know when when father is talking about jesus as being uh jesus as like the you know he's a great like the greatest being that we uh, we don't have to make a, an appointment with him. Just to clarify that, um, as Aquinas says, like the nature of God is not to be a being. He, his nature is to be itself. It is Amen. ipsum esse substantium. Like it is it is to be itself. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas says. So just to clarify that God is not one being among many. We're not Nestorians. We're not Monophylites. Um, we are we are not Arians like Jesus Christ's divinity and humanity uh, exist within the one person of Jesus 
uh, and the, the proximity of his divinity to his humanity does not interfere or belittle uh, and vice versa. Uh, yeah, just want to make sure that's clear. Do you think I did a Amen. fair job there? Thank cool. you. Thank cool. you, Lee. I very, very much appreciate that clarification. Yeah. I love what you, you mentioned also just about this, this dimension of deserving, right? That sometimes we can get to a place in prayer, in the spiritual life where it is dry. Maybe we're in a season of desolation where there's not a bunch of, um, to use the antithetical term, consolation. St. Ignatius of Loyola teaches us about the um, the spiritual exercises, and this is where we kind of get those terms of desolation and consolation. Consolation being we get the warm, fuzzy, feelies, butterflies, and, you know, those little bunny rabbits with huge eyes, and they're talking to us kind of rainbows, unicorns, and daisies in the field, and it's just joyful and happy-go-lucky. Um, sometimes we are lucky enough uh, to be in a season of consolation with the Lord, and we go to prayer, and it feels amazing. And it feels so rich and full and, and just glorious and beautiful. And there are other seasons, which, uh, as St. Ignatius of Loyola tells us about, that we don't have those warm and fuzzies happy. And it's just darkness. And it feels dry. And it feels like there's a degree of separation. And for those who don't know, like St. Mother Teresa, she experienced this for the latter half of her life. Like she was in the slums of Calcutta, ministering to the poorest of the poor, to those literally left for dead in the gutters of the street. And she's in the seasons, the, you know, she, yet she did this in the season of, of desolation where she would go into prayer and she felt nothing but emptiness and, and separation. And yet she trusted and she knew that just because I'm feeling these things, X, Y, and Z, does not mean that the Lord is far from me. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just love that the whole uh, in light of that, the whole consolation, desolation thing, that um, there's really nothing that we deserve. When you think about it, it's it's crazy. Like, the, we don't deserve anything. Like, is the Lord happy when we spend time with him? Yes. Yes, he is. Is he happy with us? Like, do we make God happy? Yes, we make God happy. Otherwise, he would not have brought us into existence to begin with. Um, he would not have ensouled the first man, i.e. Adam, um, and he would not have, you know, brought us into this beautiful family, um, this messy, crazy family of the church. He would not have done what he did on the cross if he was not uh, pleased with us being. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he loves us as we are, and yet at the same time, uh, we are called, uh, as Father would say, we would do well to acknowledge our own littleness and our own nothingness because in light of our own nothingness, in light of our own littleness, um, in our undeservingness, like, does the cross make sense? Yes. And it's, it's actually liberating to know that we do not deserve, because I think maybe it's some people, maybe if initially, if they hear that, mm -hmm. they might think, oh, that's... Put a weird taste in your mouth. Yeah. But it's actually, if you really ponder that, that's what unconditional love means. The Lord's unconditional love the fact that we are all undeserving and that he still loves us, mm -hmm. it liberates us. It frees us to know that I don't need to perform for the Lord. Right. I'm not, I'm not loved on the condition of X, Y, Z. It's actually remarkably freeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So getting to this realization that the Lord's actually, he's making a proposal. He's proposing to you. 
you know, where, wherever you're at in your, your walk with the Lord, he is proposing to you right now. He, he is on bended knee, and those knees are battered, bruised, and bloody. He is on bended knee, pledging his heart to you. And we can say yes, and that could be the, the sole thing that our entire solar system, our entire universe revolves around. Or we could say, that's going to look great on this shelf over here next to my other trophies. That's going to look good over there on, you know, in that corner of my desk. And we could, what's the word for him? Categorize? No, we could uh, itemize his love for us as one thing among many that we already have. And maybe we could lean into that when times get a little hard and maybe paychecks are, you know, we're living paycheck to paycheck and the rent's due and kids' tuition's due and, oh, the car broke down, oh, we need a new dishwasher, oh, a pipe burst, it's one degree outside. Um, you know, is that is that the one thing that we're going to lean into just a little bit more than the others in those trying times? Or is it going to be, again, the sole thing that everything else revolves around the the most important thing the one thing that i'm going to say at the end of my life that my life was about and it's kind of a challenge it really is like um because i don't want to be like um the church of laodicea in revelation the Mm -hmm. in revelation uh is i always forget is it revelation yes Yes, it's, it's revelation it's not revelations just i always get tripped up on that um the, the church of Laodicea is one of the churches that Jesus writes to in Revelation. I believe it's Revelation 3 where he talks about um, this one church in particular that is lukewarm, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I will spit you out. I don't want that. I don't want to be spit out by the Lord because I didn't burn hot, that I didn't, <laughs> that I wasn't just cold, cold, you know, like. Deliver us, Lord, we pray. Right. Yeah. And this is kind of what I love about St. Peter because he. He, he was somebody who burned hot. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. Even those moments of like, I don't know what to do. Therefore, I'm going to say something <laughs> like the transfiguration, just Mount Tabor kind of uh, moments where he was just, I don't, I'm uncomfortable and I don't know what to do. Other than, I can't just like be here and just watch and receive what's happening, like experience and encounter this glory. I have to say, I'll make a tent for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, so we have to burn, like that's the call, is to burn hot. Amen. To burn hot for the Lord. And I'm not saying that you, um, I mean, what is love? Love is, is, it's not fun, happy, go lucky, rainbows and daisies all the time. Real love takes work and half the battle is just showing up. Yeah. Yes. Same thing goes for our mental prayer. You know, how are we just showing up um, and saying, Lord, I, I don't know what the day has in store, but I love you and I want this to be more central in my life. I want you to be the sole thing in my life that everything else revolves around. Money, riches, trials, they all mean nothing without you, God. If I have not you. Yeah, if I have not you. So in yeah, just the temperament factor. I I love that. You know, I'm I'm a melancholic through and through. I respond to things I mean I still have nightmares about things that happened to me as a child. Just oh if I only if only I could go back and do that differently or whatever. You know, living in the in the past, in the place of regret and the woundedness and whatever, but just, um, yeah, but I've also got some cleric streaks within me and I can also know how to, I also know how to party father. So I, you know, I've got the sanguine piece there too. It's just, praise God. You're for your primary and your secondary. Yeah. Sorry. That was a huge tangent, but, uh, I hope that blessed you dear listener. Mm. So picking up on, yeah, you said that this, the daily prayer 
mental prayer was uh, integral in your 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 discovery of your vocation. Yes. Mm. When uh, did you have a spiritual director in college, or did did you just kind of? I did. Yes, by God's grace, I've had uninterrupted the gift of uninterrupted spiritual direction. I mean, I've had to make different transitions, but sure. ever since I was eighteen, I've had uninterrupted spiritual direction for the last almost twenty-two years. Mm. And so, with actually with the Sisters of the Apostles of the Interior Life, they were that was the first location they uh, opened outside of Rome. Really. They were there, and by God's grace, in Illinois, his mercy, yes. Oh, I didn't know this. So I was there. I got. Uh, I arrived as a freshman two years after they had opened that house. So I was under the pastoral care, direction, assistance of uh, Sister Rafaela uh, Cavalin. Just mm. yeah, definitely a spiritual mother. Beautifully facilitated the Lord's voice in my life. Sister, if you're listening to this, we love you. I know you, I know there's a pocket of you guys listening to this in Rome. I know the sisters listen. Love you guys. 